wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say. Say them loud, say them clear for the whole round world to So good morning, everybody. It's Friday morning, 7 a.m. Are you up? This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. And yeah, wake up and smell the coffee. So as we go towards the end of the year, as I just finished another birthday, uh, I'm in a very uh, reflective, self-critical mood because, you know, I don't need to be cheered up that much. I uh, think the world is pretty damn depressing. And I find hope, which I'll explain, in the fine grain of my work. You know, um, I no longer would say the strategy center is a model for changing anything. I don't believe that. I think we're good. I wish we were more of a model, but in order to be more of a model, more people would have to <laughs> think we are a model. Uh, I wish I could say the strategy center is part of a new national black, Latinx, Asian, white, really significant anti-imperialist movement where people actually liked each other, God forbid, got along, but that ain't true, in my opinion. So at a later point, I will tell you all the problems I see in the movement. In fact, that'll be a good show. Uh, There's one thing I do want to say about the problems in the movement, though, is that I think the movement is the product of the me generation which I don't understand, versus the we generation, because even the people of the we generation are now starting to be part of the me generation. What I mean by that is, when I wanted to get involved with the civil rights movement, there were five choices. There were just five. You would join the Urban League, which was the more moderate, helping black people get something group that did important work. I went when I actually applied to work for them in New York. And they had all these job trading programs for young black people. They were doing something. They were real. And they were the group that got along best with corporate America and didn't threaten. But Whitney Young said, I'm a black nationalist. And what he meant is, I'm more of the um, uh, Booker T. Washington, which you need to know was also a form of black nationalism, was a form of saying black self-help. The white people, we're not going to try to integrate into society. We're not going to change white folks. Uh, we leave them alone and be nice to them and let them give us enough money so we can train some young people to get a job. And yes, Du Bois took him on and yes, Du Bois was, quote, right. But Booker T. Washington was pretty substantial person and one thing people should never do in a debate is think one person's right and one person's wrong because they were two giants. And I don't even did. So I'm still on the Du Bois side of that argument. Go see the Souls of Black Book. My point is that once upon a time, people had a lot going. You know, Booker T started Tuskegee. Booker T, I believe, uh, helped George Washington Carver. There was a group of 
black people who were trying to develop black agriculture, black mathematics, you know, just leave these crazy white people alone. And of course, Du Bois had a more radical vision of trying to transform the society, which led him to form the NAACP. He was the editor of The Crisis, the magazine. He eventually became pro-communist, and then he became a communist in his last years. But back to the point I was making is that when I got involved in the movement, you either would join the Urban League, which was considered the most modern, the NACP, which was complicated because they were very conservative in many ways. Roy Wilkins was pretty rough, pretty anti-communist, went against Paul Robeson. Um, but down south, the NACP was where it's at. And... <laughs> If you joined the NACP in Mississippi, you were taking your life in your own hands. So we got to be careful to realize, well, the NACP selling out, selling what out? They were the first black organization for many black people joining anything they ever did. And you paid great pain for joining it for a lot of Southern sharecroppers and so forth. Then there was Dr. King's SCLC. Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was interesting because it was really a group of pastors. And they had all their problems and all their competitions and all their, I don't even want to go into some of the stuff, but they were good. And Dr. King was trying to organize the church. And you need to know if you read the book Bearing the Cross by David Garrow, the church hated Dr. King. <laughs> AME hated him, the Baptists hated him, all the established ministers, pastors, were in with the system. But again, I want to say they were in with the system because what else could you do? So they saw Dr. King as messing up everything by telling everybody how militant to be when he thought, they thought you're going to get yourself killed, which, by the way, he did. I'm not justifying the other position. I'm trying to explain the other position. In every debate, each side has something they're trying to say that's true. And you can't move, me and Akuna are going to do this thing on the 25th of um, January called the Great Debaters. And Akuna and I always talk about, in order to have a debate, you don't start with what's wrong with the other person. You start with what you agree with the other person. What do they do good? What is right about what they're saying? Because until you decide what's good about them and what's right about them, how can you explain why you don't agree with them? And... I try to train people that. Do not disregard all these other people. They all have a good point of view that we don't agree with. But as I'll get to when you get to the strategy center, they can say to you, well, how good is your thing going right now? My answer, not too good. But it is what I believe in. I'm happy. I'm doing what I believe in. <laughs> what can I tell you? I don't want to do the other thing. This is what I want to do. On some days I think it's great. Some days I think it's good. Some days I don't think it's so good. But... It's what I want to do and what I believe in, and I'm happy doing what I believe in. Then the next group was the Congress of Racial Equality, which I joined in 1964. They were a pacifist organization. So this is a little Eric man doing history. I can't help myself. Um, <clears throat> CORE was formed in 1942. I was born in 1942. CORE was headed by James Farmer. James Farmer was in The Great Debaters, which you're going to learn about in Wiley College. He was 14 when he defeated Harvard at, as a debater. I don't know, maybe he was 21, 22 when he started court. He was one of those, uh, what do you call it, 
premature geniuses or something, you know. And by the time I got there, I'm happy to say James Farmer was my director. Isn't that cool? I would walk into his office. So when I see the great debaters, and I see this 14-year-old, I say, I know this brother. He was my boss, <laughs> and I knew him pretty well. You know, he knew me not so, you know, he sort of knew there was Eric out there, and but he had bigger fish to fry. But he was right in the office. I mean, it was, and it was no, you needed no appointment. Just knock on the door, Mr. Farmer, can I have a few minutes of your time? Hey, Eric, come back and how about in two hours? Thank you, sir. So I was very lucky. CORE was the militant group, the first black militants. And I'll tell you more about that in another story. But the first thing to know, they, they initiated the Freedom Rides. And the Freedom Rides were things that we got to decide because they were willing to get killed over it. I mean, when you got on a bus with black and white going down south, in 1961, and you went into the the white bathroom. <laughs> you know, some people came within an inch of their life, and the state police were there, and they they clubbed people half to death. And Kennedy tried to stop them, and they told Kennedy, "Go to hell. Who cares who you are? You're the president of the North. You know, we don't <laughs> we're not even part of the United States. So f you." And um, I was very honored to be in CORE. And then there was SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which is probably the most, well, CORE and SNCC were, we were almost one organization, which is another thing I want to tell you about. So SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, they led the lunch counter sit-ins. They were the HBCU students, North Carolina A&T, North Carolina College for Women, uh, they organized the sit-ins. And at first, there were just a group of people that were organizing sit-ins, and they realized, wait a minute, we need to form an organization because our individual fights are not going to make it. So they formed the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. They formed a national organization. So there were five. And if you wanted to get involved, you didn't form a sixth. <laughs> you didn't say, well, I got to go. No, nobody cares. Are you with SNCC? Are you with CORE? Are you with SELC? Are you with NACP? We urbanly. None of us thought, and of course I'm a Jew and it wasn't my job to start one anyway, but I never met one black person who said, you know what, I think I'm going to form a new organization. The answer was almost in the North you joined CORE. In the South you joined CORE or SNCC. Today, nobody wants to join each other. I mean, it's really shocking to me how little people want to go beyond their own organizations and how much they love their organizations, even if we're not accomplishing very much. Everybody's fighting over money, recognition. It's one thing if we were succeeding a lot, but we're not succeeding in my opinion. So that's my preface to say someday we're going to try to form unity groups again. We're going to try to break down barriers between organizations that may start by just two or three organizations starting to be almost one organization, like a federation at first, you know. Uh, again, I want to say that this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. I woke up this morning depressed, so when I'm depressed, I read history and talk about history because it makes me feel better. So when I was with CORE, 
like I was in in DC and I had something. I was fighting the national. I was fighting the labor department over a program to send young black students, <laughs> kids into the to give them a summer experience as agricultural laborers, which meant slaves on the plantation. And I stood up against it. And CORE supported me, sent me down there to do that. So I called Ralph Featherstone, who you know, many of you know who he was. He was a very famous SNCC um, leader in D.C., and he was killed in a bomb. Uh, there was a bomb in his car. And some say he had a bomb, and some say the bomb was put in his car. And my attitude is, I don't know. Either way, you know, I... You get it. I mean, if he had a bomb, then now is something he chose to do. Most likely, they put a bomb in his car because that's what they did. But the point is, I called up Ralph Featherstone, the head of SNCC, and I, he don't know me from a hole in the wall. I'm 21. I'm Jewish kid. Again, uh, this is Ralph. You know, this is Eric Mann. I'm with CORE. Oh, cool. What's happening? Well, I'm in D.C., and I'm fighting this thing. And Okay, I'll be right over. What, what are we going to pick a fight with the government? Right. Okay, I'll be right over. That's all. It didn't have any, I didn't have to, it was like a two-minute call. You with CORE, you got to fight, I'll be right over. We don't have that today, as we know. And he came over, and we worked together on something that was really great, and I'll tell you about that later. My point is that CORE and SNCC were sister organizations. We loved each other. If SNCC called, he didn't have to do anything but say, it's SNCC. I need you to be on the corner of this and that, and that's all we need to know. Today, we do not have that. So, that brings me to Ciclavia. You may say, how did that get you to Ciclavia? Well, because I'm in this, I always say, small organization, the Labor Community Center. I'm here with Barbara Lott Holland and Channing Martinez, two of my closest partners and comrades. And we are trying, man. We are trying everything we can. Film clubs, uh, bookstores, uh, Black Student Achievement, Bus Riders Union, uh, anything else we can come up with. Fighting the MTA, which is not going very well because Mayor Bass does not really want to be a force of change right now. And we don't, we got to get her to be a force of change. And that'll be a whole nother conversation. So Channing has actually generated two big parts of our work that is just finally the light bulb went off coming to you Channing uh, oh my god it started when you know when you ran for city council and you got the endorsement of the you get the right name but the black bike club and then that you ride a bike and then Ciclavia and then power up uh, South Central electric bike library and all of a sudden, I woke up and said, we got something going. All of a sudden, I realized, wait, we have an alternative to the MTA in some way, which is going to tell people that we got three things going for you. Walking, which they can't take away. Bikes, which they can't take away. And electric bikes, which we're going to try to get you. We're not going to stop trying to change the MTA, but we can't just keep waiting for them to do what they don't want to do. So, Channing, maybe you can go back a little bit in your own consciousness, because as an organizer, when I talk to organizers, and this is Eric Mann, you're on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live 
on the web at kpfk.org and check out our own website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And as I'll tell you later, check out thestrategycenter.org and look for our curated collections of revolutionary books that you might want to explore for the holidays. So Channing, why don't you go back to when did you first understand this as an idea? You know what I mean? When did it first dawn on you that this actually might be an organizing idea? Yeah, start there. Uh, I mean, there. I'll, I'll say that I tend to be a late bloomer in a lot of things, including this. Um, and so... I think there is a lot of tactics and activity before I realize, oh, this is an actual, going to be an actual ongoing thing. And so even when you think about the election, um, you know, I've never thought about, you know, my activity of riding a bike being political or anything having to do with elections or movements. Um, you know, I'm not the type of bike rider that goes on those group rides because, you know, <laughs> I just don't. Um, and so uh, the first eye-opening was when we were approached by this Bike the Vote coalition. And a lot of it was some folks that had been our friends, right? Or even new friends, right? So there is Ade, um, who is one of the leads of Ride on Bike Co-op. And we met him actually at the Lamert Park Book Fair the first year we hmm. went. Hmm. Um, I remember that he talked to Eric and then I talked to Ade and we both talked to me and Eric and said, did you meet this guy named Ade? Um, and really interesting, good conversation, right? right. right? Um, we got to know uh, Sola, South LA Food Co-op. Um, and I didn't know that you know, some of them were on the Bike the Boat Coalition as well. We got to know this woman, uh, Yolanda... Davis Overstreet, right? Um, who is from West Adams um, Neighborhood Council, who was also on Bike to Vote. And so I would say that was the first time I understood, you know, biking mixed with some sort of organizing and revolution. Um, based, uh, that was, and I'll say that was the only uh, group that actually endorsed our campaign. Um, and in fact, we got, you know, they did a grading system. And so we got the 100% because, and I think it's because of the way that we frame the issue, which is that a lot of folks around transportation, quote, transportation justice, always talk about the idea of, um, uh, in some ways, penalizing people for traffic violations and things going on in the community, like people being hit, which is a real thing, right? The way we phrased it was different, which was that you can't penalize people for a system, the fault of a system, right? It's not their fault that, you know, cars are the most and main um, way of getting around. Uh, the city is built around the single passenger automobile and Metro literally does not want to add 100% or more public transportation, right? And so, um, so I would say that that's the first way. That I understood. All right. So the, the way the mind works is whether you say you're late, blow or everything, all consciousness starts by not knowing something. Right? <laughs> you start by not knowing something, and then you know something. And then you know another thing, and then the pieces come together. 
So they liked you, which is a big thing we're talking about. They reached out to you as much as you reached out to them. Okay, so then let's talk about Ciclovia, because my view of Ciclovia was always white folks on bikes, and white folks that didn't want to really care about the black community and didn't care about the BRU and didn't care about racism. They, you know, they were happy, feeling superior to everybody, and they got along with the city, which closed down the thing for a day and didn't want to take on the city. But when did you decide that you want to, you know, and when did the strategy center decide that I want to be part of this? Because obviously I'm starting with a stereotype. That's not completely true. I'm explaining my consciousness about it. But now it's a big part of our life. It's a big part of the culture and politics of the strategy center. So story one is the bike coalition. Now get us into Ciclovia. I mean, it's it's very controversial because bikes in Los Angeles overall still is seen as a white, right. you know, uh, affluent sort of activity. Even if there are a lot of black and Latinx students and kids and adults that ride bikes, right? Um, it's not, uh, they don't get that kind of recognition that white people get. Um, and, you know, the, and when, even when you look at the infrastructure of the city, right, most bike lanes and most bike infrastructure is in white west side neighborhoods, right? The most famously is the bike path going along the beach. Um, and so to your point, and to give you credit, most people in the city still see Ciclovia as a majority white thing, even though their executive director is black. Um, And so I think we, I want to say something like 2017, 2018, um, a few of our partner organizations, um, they were a part of the Ciclovia event. In fact, they had their own block party along the route of Ciclovia, and they invited us to come table. And I think that was the first time we ever participated in Ciclovia. And I think it was a pretty widely successful um, event where we got to both speak about the bus rides union on the main stage. Um, I think we got somewhere around 400 people that came to our booth and learned about the work of the bus rides union. Um, we had a really huge high school base at that time. About you know, 10, 15 students came that day to help yeah. uh, expand our word. And so we had people at the tables. We had all kinds of signs at the table. We came up with this idea of doing these twirler signs that said free public transportation and who's going to save your city and uh, climate justice for the third world and so many things, right? Um, I, a few of us, including myself, made these backpack signs that you put on your shoulders and so we rode up and down the route so people can see our propaganda on our backs um and so that was the first time um well one thing you're listening to the voice of Channing martinez and eric Mann, and we're talking about so the evolution of a strategy right uh how much what time we got so far uh, 24 minutes left uh, no good well, we're going to do a two-hour show today anyway, folks, so just we'll keep talking. So, no, that was a joke, okay? We're going to, um, only Barbara gets my jokes anyway. I mean, I don't know. It should be obvious it's not a two-hour show. But anyway, you know, one thing I was thinking about is how, in general, 
white people are so self-important that if they walk down the street, they call it white people walking down the street, and they get recognition for it. You know, if they form a bike lane, they get that the white people did the bike. They, their perception, the, the the white child is imbued with the poison of self-importance. The black child is, you know, with, with some exceptions, is just riding a bike. You know, they won't ride the bike and go, I'm black, and I'm riding a bike. And the whole world should look at, no, they're just riding a bike. The white person is, I am riding the bike, and this is very historically significant. No, it's not. So what's been the experience? But the other thing is, so we have several things. That, I'll just take a minute on white people for a minute. So we have like, you know, the sort of three types. The, you know, the, well, a lot of different types of white people, most of which are bad. But leaving aside the right wing, then there's the liberal white people who think they're the center of the world and who are impossible to work with. And then you have the sort of people in the middle who are at least aware of something about race, but they're still white. I mean, they aren't ready to make the full grasp that whiteness is not the center of the world. And then you have the anti-racist whites, you know. But I think, is it fair to say that a lot of the people that we're working with now in Ciclovia are sort of more in that middle group where they're good people. They're open. They're, they're, as you would say, yes, they're, they're honest forces. You can talk to them. They're not going to... So, and we think they're important. We do want them, as, as well as, of course, the black writers who are coming. So tell me a little bit about your work in trying to raise their consciousness, what kind of struggles you have with them, and what... What do you want, because often the question is, what do you want them to do is often the best way to raise consciousness when you're asking them to do something. It's because we're going to go backwards to the fact that last Saturday we had the most amazing experience. I think after you do that, we'll tell people about Saturday and then we'll go back again. But we had a great experience Saturday where I think we had the first time I believed our work really blew up. You know, where, oh my God, all this work is really, meaning lots of people came to our uh, stand, which Barbara will talk about. Lots of people came into the bookstore. You know, certainly a hundred people spent time with us, not just dropped in on us. So let's go back to, which we'll get there. And of course, then we're going to get to black people in this process. What have been the conversations you've been having inside the the bike world, black and white? to try? To, what are you trying to move them to understand well let me let me take your first one which is the different of experience um i think for most black folks who are on bikes uh, trying to answer i think one of the reasons why it's not recognized is for obviously the white chauvinism but the other part is because in many ways being on your bike other than like playing outside or playing in a field it tends to be very controversial in the city right um, and most people who are using bikes in the city are doing so to get to work um, but they're doing so very dangerously because number one you can be run down by a car right, because the right, city right. is built around cars number one right but number two in a city that uses 50% of its budget on the on the police, right? I mean, they try to find every single thing that they can bring against you for an infraction, right? Um, and so I've talked to so many black 
um, bike riders who have either been in accidents or they've been pulled over by, for, by the police for menial things, right? Like riding in the opposite direction on the street. Um, oftentimes people do that because when you're riding in the same direction, someone will come behind you and, you know, side sweep you on a bike. That means you can get thrown up about, right. you know, That's 10, right. 15 feet, right? Um, and really seriously injured. And so oftentimes you ride against traffic because you want to see what's coming at you, right? Uh, officers use that as an excuse to ticket and, uh, you know, take people's bikes away. Also, um, in some occasions, when there is an accident and the police officer comes, right? I've heard stories where the person in the car who done the the infraction, you know, they're you know walking away with the slap on the wrist, but the person on the bike, they've gotten a big ticket and they have to do uh, what is it called community service, and they have to spend a few nights in jail. I mean, it's so all that to say that to your First question is, it's a very big difference of an experience that when you're on a bike as a black and Latinx person in this city, you're almost taking your life in your hand in some ways. Well, it's very deep because it just means, again, there's no place to run, there's no place to hide, you know, black on a bike, black not on a bike, black walking across the street. So that's really good. I mean, scary good, but very, very helpful. Um, let's take a step back. Um, Barbara, uh, you, so we had last Saturday, Sunday, sorry, Sunday, December 3rd, we had the Strategy Center opened up in front of our Strategy and Soul Social Justice Center, Movement Center. We were in front of our bookstore, Strategy and Soul Books, in front of our theater on 3546 Martin Luther King, right near McClung right near uh, Crenshaw. And we had uh, what Channing called a pit stop. So Channing, do you just explain that pit stop thing about people getting stamped? And then Barbara, tell me what your experience was like and what did you learn as an organizer? So that's your getting you a cue. But just for a minute, what was the... Tell me, I didn't even understand what you were telling me. I got to stamp people's thing. I didn't know what the hell you were telling me about it first. At some point, we got to start filming these because our facial expressions are so funny. <laughs> um, as part of the South Central Power Up program, which we'll talk about uh, later, but it's an e-bike lending library. Um, one thing we were doing to promote it was to create some sort of incentive to sign up for the program. And the incentive on Sunday was that we were going to be raffling off a bike um, to my point and Barbara's point and everyone's point. We have no idea what a Wu-Tang bike is, <laughs> which is what it said on the flyer, but we kept saying it. And a lot of people's head turned like, Wu-Tang bike? What? Where, where do I get that? I don't even know what the heck that is. <laughs> um, and so people had to go to each of the partners. There was about eight different right, partners right, right. in the program. And you had to pick up a passport or a card, and you had to get it stamped from each partner. And when you got all six stamps, then you can get a raffle ticket and be entered into the raffle. To that was brilliant. That was brilliant. 
Yeah. Now, before I get to you, Barbara, I just want to say uh, sort of a little commercial, a non-commercial break on something, which is the Strategy Center needs your help. Um, you're listening to all the work we do, but the question is, what can you do to help us? Because we talk a lot. So there's three very simple things you do, but a lot of you don't do it, and we appreciate it. So the first thing is go on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Register, not every week, but we often put out a, a flyer on what's going on. We also put out a podcast, so if, if you miss a show, it comes with a nice link to the show or back to the, to the website. So help us build voicesfromthefrontlines.com and help us build the podcast and write to Channing at voicesfromthefrontlines.com write to Eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com that's how we judge you know whether or not anybody else is listening the second thing you can do is go on our website which is so our second website thestrategycenter.org and we are working on even upgrading the website but one of the things you'll see is look at the curated book collections for the holidays. And I have worked very hard to put together eight curated book collections, which you might consider as a gift for yourself, a gift for other people. Imagine giving somebody five books. What a concept. And I've worked together. There's a, a black and radical feminism subset of curated collection. There's a the black communist tradition. There's the anti-imperialist classics like uh, Black Reconstruction America and uh, The Wretch of the Earth. There's the Eric Mann Reader, which is um, Play Before Progressives, Dispatches from Durban, and Katrina's Legacy. There's two wonderful uh, young organizers and training uh, sections where just we have phenomenal children's books and I'm very proud that I've done a lot of work on that and when people came into the bookstore they were really oh yeah my kid this one we, we sold a pretty good group of children's books then we have the environmental and climate justice collection with Victor Wallace's red green collection and red green revolution and the red deal so uh there's a lot of great book collections there, and we want you to go on there. At least acknowledge it. You know, we're, we're on the voices. We are not allowed to ask you to buy, nor would I want you to. It's not just, that's not the question. Would you look and appreciate the work? If you decide, decide to buy the books, that's great. But would you at least understand that we work so hard to develop these curator collections so you go on www.thestrategycenter.org. Um, and the third is, I forgot. So we'll, we'll stay with, oh, the, the other thing is send us an email at Voices from the Frontlines and say you want to work with Channing and Barbara and us on some of our projects, which we're going to talk about. Okay, so that's the preface. So Barbara, what was your experience like? What was it like being an organizer? What did you learn? What was it like? What? It was one of those moments that you would call, this is a new day. You know, it started out 
Well, let me back up. First of all, one of the things that I learned, when you are having an event as this, which is very physical, please don't stay up late the night before. <laughs> I'm serious. Right. You need to go home. You need to rest so that you can be physically able to endure a long day and be happy doing it because you're going to be talking to people. You want to have the attitude of greeting people and making them feel wanted. Not only that, and to know it. <laughs> Being at the MTA, you, we learn to talk in one minute. Can you imagine trying to talk with someone and communicate with them, get them to come over to your spot when they're on a bike so you have less than a minute? So learning the, the, the words that you want to say that make them turn around and look. And, of course, being a pit stop to get your passport stamped to win a free Wu-Tang bike was, of course, a good hitter. But, but it, it's, it's more than that. And like I said, you have to want to do this. You can't be, yay, this is a pit stop, come on over. No, that's, that's not going to get it. Because remember, they are riding on a bike and they've got a long way to go. And you want to encourage them to stop. And the thing for us, Eric, we were like the third, I think we were the third stop, the second stop. So they just started. So you really got to say something to them to make them want to stop. Because they have six more people. So what did you tell them? What was the one thing you told them? <clears throat> well, the what one, was your one minute thing? It's hello, welcome to the Strategy Center. Glad to see you. Come over and get your passport stamped. You want to be able to win the bike. And you also want to learn about the strategy center. Want to know about what, what the heck is on this corner. There were a lot of different things that I started with. Not all the same. Like some of them was, hey, I know you've been wondering what's on this corner. We've been here since 2016. Did you know that? Come on over. See what we're about. Get you some uh, coffee. We have coffee. We have but uh, pastries. You have to think of the things that they want to to stop for. Right. The water, the coffee, and oh, I was so. And we had, thanks to Earl's Grill, one of uh, one of our allies that donated for us their popcorn machine. So we had fresh popcorn, and you could smell it in the air. So that was <laughs> definitely that was definitely um, a hitter. But to be able to talk to people and go, well, what are you all about? I say, I am glad you asked that question. So it, again, it was the, the desire to want to be there, know what you're talking about, figure out, as I saw the, the, the riders coming by, I tried to visualize in particularly what they had on so that I would know what was the word to say to them because they were different. If somebody was driving by with their... Kids, of course, I mentioned the bookstore and the children's books and the popcorn and all of that, too. And they turn, I go, I got him, I got him. And, you know, one of the best things was some of the writers would go by and they would remember what I said or still hearing me and turn around and come back. That was a good feeling. That's a great feeling. And you guys are so chanting, sort of running everything. Oh, my stars, yes. Barbara... Being the sort of, you know, 
solid weight of hay on the, the hose. And then I was running the bookstore. And that was really fun, because as they were coming in and eating popcorn, I'd say, hey, you want to come in and see a revolutionary, Afrocentric, communist? You know, I would throw in anything to make them go, what? Uh, I mainly did communist. I said black revolutionary, uh, Afrocentric, third world bookstore. A lot of people said, well, a bookstore. Um, oh, cool, cool. So my experience, we'll come back to yours, because uh, they're interacted, you often sending people to me. This is the first time that I realized that what I wanted to do was, I was more like a bookstore manager, where I was just sitting, people would come in, I say, hey, welcome to the Strategy and Soul Bookstore. I said, I'm Eric Mann, right away. There's three of my books over there, just so you know who I am. But don't worry about it. I mean, please just walk around and enjoy yourself. This is a curated bookstore of 50, 60 of the best books you'll ever read. If you want to talk to me, I'm sitting right here. And I didn't, you know, because, you know, let them decide if they want to talk to me. And a lot of people did. And there was a public health nurse who was focusing on uh, psychiatry of black children, of child psychology in the black community. And there were these two gay brothers who had a dog, and they had both been involved, and they read revolutionary activity, and they read books, and they, oh, they must have stayed for an hour, and then they left their books, and they came back. And um, uh, we can say, so it's Jerry and Stephen, Hey, Jerry and Stephen, we're happy you had. Then there was another guy named Rich, who was a black man who works in Long Beach. And he said, I, I've read half the books in this bookstore. And I said, would you like to volunteer on a Saturday? He said, yeah, maybe I will. So, Rich, I'm waiting to hear from you. You got my email. And the other woman, back to the child psychology, is I was talking about the thing that Channing and I saw at... Um, on Juneteenth, where uh, the head of the L.A. County Mental Health Department was talking about the inherit an hereditary physical and chemical trauma passed on from generation to generation inside the black body. And that we're going to try to do an event to that effect. Um, oh, and then there was uh, Malcolm Ali, who was this very cool gentleman who was a photographer. Uh, and then he and Channing got into a conversation about photography. And he was taking Channing's photograph. And then I took a photo of him taking a photo of Channing. And I have that one. So back to you, Barbara. What were some of the, what were some of the interesting things you did that were... Uh, Maybe different from anything? Any insights? Any, uh, you know, what was new in your own brain? What was new, I think, was uh, the way I talked about the bookstore. As people were passing by, I would ask sometimes, hey, when was the last time you talked to Fannie Lou Hamer? We have her written word here. You want to come good. in and check it out? So those were... Uh, and I did that with uh, uh, other different authors as well. And that was new to me of introducing the bookstore. 
or sometime they would pass and I say, hey, wouldn't you like to have a free bus ride when you're riding? Sometimes you may get tired. You can stop on your bike and get on the bus. No explanation needed. We're fighting for free public transportation. So I just switch things around, Look, again, looking at the uh, riders and determining what I thought would attract them, or even me as a person on public transportation, what it feels like and how can I share that experience with them and want, to, want them to get involved. I think one of the things for us is this was the first event that I can remember that our email listing sign-ins was what tripled what they would normally be on these events and explaining to people what this meant, what it involved to become a part of the email listing. You get the, the experience or invitations to different programmings that we have at our state-of-the-art revolutionary theater. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I think people were actually filling their forms out more legibly, which is sometimes people fill them out in a way like, you're never going to find me anyway, you know, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to, oh, you really want to get in touch with me, you know what I mean? Well, we, uh, we also changed the signing sheet. Instead of having like something like 15 per page, we limited it to five, so way more room. <laughs> Good. And you had to choose an option of how you wanted to volunteer, so that was good. Well, if you're listening out there, uh, voices, listeners, I think you're listening to Channing and Barbara and I all realizing that organizing is thinking, listening. I met these two very cool guys, Emmanuel and Salvatore. They're both actors, uh, successful actors. They're twins. They both have essentially adopted two black boys, each one adopted the brothers, you know, so you have two brothers <laughs> uh, being adopted or with two white, very cool guys. And we spent, oh God, 45 minutes talking about acting and jokes and New York Jews and bagels and, you know, just, it was fun. So the thing I'm saying to you out there, I want to talk to you as listeners for a minute. I mean, you're sitting there, I don't know, you're brushing your teeth, you're following your papers, you're trying to get ready for work, you're eating. We are trying to get you to help us build what we just described. There are so many points of entry to the strategy center. I don't know, I'm hoping that the seven or eight or nine, or maybe 10 substantial conversations I had will lead to people that want to do something. Because that was, uh, I always call them, you know, there's a lot of people of color. I, there's also people of substance, POS. And I've, I think almost everybody I talked to was a person of substance that really wanted to sit and talk. And we want the strategy center to become an intellectual center where you can come in and bring your kid and read a book and sit down in the bookstore and talk about life. And uh, I want to thank both of you because I felt... I've been kind of discouraged about the bookstore sometime, and I felt like this is the first time, you know, you have a vision of something and it doesn't quite work. This is the first time I felt like Ciclavia and Black Riders and Strategy and Soul books in a bookstore and Barbara work good. So please send us an email at eric at voices from the front lines, Channing at voices from the front lines. And say you want to get involved in some way, because and say I went on your website, 
thestrategycenter.org, I saw the curated collections. This is what I thought of them. This is what I felt about them. I bought a copy or I didn't buy a copy. But tell me that you at least noticed that we did probably a week's work to get those ready, including Channing's artwork to put them together in a presentation. So let's talk about fund drive. Um, we've done very well. Voices listeners do very well. Uh, I want to thank you all because the way I and Channing and, you know, we try to do fund drive, sometimes we're doing an active, active fund drive. But sometimes we're just trying to do a show. And I want to thank again Michael Novak, the, you know, the general manager, who is saying, Novak, who's saying, yeah, let's try to do more regular programming, but it has to raise money. This, the station's in, I don't know, a perpetual crisis. It's a miracle. And what Michael's doing, I'm worried about. We've got to send him to some place to get some rest because he works, he's volunteering. And he's working at least 40 hours a week. So would you, he doesn't need money, or he does, but that's not what we're asking for. But he needs money to run the station. We're losing another person because they can't even pay salaries. So we urge you, when you listen to voices from the front lines, to give generously right now. We're not offering a premium today, Uh well, actually, I can offer you for $250, actually, the Paul Robeson set, which you gave generously about last week, Paul Robeson, Portrait of an Artist. And I had another friend who was a good friend of mine who gives money to the uh, voices. He said, I'll give you $100 for voices. I'll give you another $100 if you can get that liberal idiot off the air. I won't mention who it is, but... What he was saying is, I'm sick of hearing about the Democratic Party, about what's wrong with Trump, and that's what I like about your show. Barbara, why should people give money to the KPFK? If you want real, true radio, real, true political talk, if you want to be able to call in and voice your real, true opinion on the topic, let's keep KPFK on the air. 818-985-5735, Channing Martinez, KPFK, and then you'll open up with Palestine. Uh, as I always say, KPFK is the only radio station that is truly uh, reporting anything truthful and the most truthful news on Palestine, in my opinion. Um, and even for other progressive stations and other progressive shows, when they talk to people from, quote, our side, right, they always phrase it, well, I want to be fair and I want to hear the other side. But as you've said, in even when, when Melinda or when uh, Celia was going to school and the school said, we teach both sides of slavery, how can you sit here and say, we want to hear from the other side? <laughs> right. When there's a genocide going on in Palestine, there is no other side. The other side is the people that are bringing genocide. And so for that mere fact that it's 
in many ways our duty to make sure that KPFK survives because that is the last voice on the radio that is really truly telling the history and the, the news as it should be told. And maybe I'll talk about Palestine and black liberation politically and also about KPFK again, Channing, because, you know, the strategies in it, it's one of the groups that uses the concept of genocide in a way that we consider scientific, although it's also very emotional, because genocide actually has criteria. If you go and read the 1947 uh, UN Declaration on Genocide, so the, the essence is a government cannot destroy a people in any whole or part based on their racial or ethnic identity. When a government attacks a group of people and makes their life miserable, that's genocide. It is not, it says, of course, it's causing physical harm. That's genocide. It's locking uh, black 800,000 black people in prison is genocide. Locking up 2 million people in Gaza and not allowing them access by land, air, what's the third, or water, it's genocide. And then when people break out and dig tunnels and go in to Israel and, yes, carry out some very outrageous things, all of a sudden that's genocide when the slaves escape and do anything. So KPFK is the last anti-imperialist that's the most important thing. It is anti-imperialist, black nationalist, black, but it's also a way you can have a conversation where it doesn't mean you have to agree. It's really going to be exposed to the ideas that the system will not even like. I mean, CNBC, I should know the brother's name, just fired an Arab host. Just fired him. And the number of people, if you listen on CNN, my least favorite station, they say, well, we're going to discuss Palestine today with uh, retired general so-and-so, general so-and-so, and, -so, and lieutenant general so-and-so, the head of the CIA, the head of the FBI, and the head of the Ku Klux Klan. And they're, they're guests. They're guests. Experts. And every, you know, except for Fareed, the wonderful Fareed Zakaria, there's almost no voice. As if it's not like uh, the debate is representing the Palestinians is this, which is fine, representing Israel, it's shocking. So all of which has come back to, I don't know how to build a movement. We started with, we don't know where this is all going. I do know that the Labor Community Strategy Center is part of the solution and not part of the problem. I do know KPFK is part of the solution and not the problem, and that the Strategy Center and KPFK and Michael Novick and the great Mac, Mark Maxwell and so many other people who, the, Terry Guy, we're in this together. You know, we're very dedicated to the station, and I hope you enjoyed our transition from black history, black bikes, Palestine, Barbara Lott Holland and organizing Channing Martinez and his consciousness about bikes to black bikes to no cars, no way. Once again, I learned about you can't even be a black bike rider. I mean, you can't do anything if you're black. 
without ending up in jail. So I like the show because I learned a lot. It was nice to be with everybody. I'll see you next Friday at 7. Give money to KPFK. It ain't that hard, folks. 1-800-985-5735. 1-800-985-5735. Voicesfromthefrontline.com. What did I say? So, it's not that e- not, it's not that hard if if I got the number right. So eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Eric, Barbara, and Channing. See you next Friday at seven. Take good care of yourselves. <laughs>